And so we say, come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And come Lord Jesus, and as you came to that Easter gathering and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, come and pour out your Spirit on us. Well, if you play uh, video or computer games, you probably know what a power-up is. Uh, according to Wikipedia, and I think it's a reliable source on this one, um, uh, they are objects that instantly benefit or add extra abilities to the game character. When my four kids were in elementary school, Pac-Man, one of the earliest video games, was re released. And Pac-Man, you remember, would eat power pellets that would power him up so that he could turn on his enemies and start chasing them around and eat them. Now I've got eight grandkids, and when they were younger, they liked to play Super Mario. Sometimes I'd even dress up like Mario and Luigi. And uh, of course, they get powered up by super mushrooms, and that, that cause them to double in size and strength so they can smash through bricks and take extra hits from their enemies. Uh, now they've gotten a little older, and they play Fortnite, and they, and they drink shields. By the way, I didn't play video games uh, long ago and far away when I was growing up, but I did watch Popeye cartoons. And you, uh, you remember he had his power up too. Somewhere in the cartoon, you, you could always count on it, he would eat a can of spinach. And believe me, nobody or nothing could stand in his way after that. Well, nobody can be a serious Christian without very long, without being bumping into their deep-seated, desperate need for power. Left to ourselves, how are we ever going to live up to this calling to follow Christ or to fulfill the ministry that Jesus has called us to? And of course, Jesus himself, he understood our need for power better than we understand it ourselves. That's why just before he left, and ascended to the Father, He's, as he stood there uh, before those disciples, sent them out, told them to make disciples of all nations, he instructed them, as the scripture that was read says, and, uh, to wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Because you see, what I've asked you to do is way, way, way out of your depth beyond your human abilities. I understand that, and the Father understands that too. So we're going to send you another, the Holy Spirit, to come and empower you. Except unlike Popeye's spinach or Pac-Man's pellets or Mario's mushrooms or Fortnite's shields, the Holy Spirit's not something you eat, or for that matter, something you drink like a 20-ounce can of an energy drink like Rockstar or Red Bull. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a jolt of electricity or a divine zap, nor is the Holy Spirit an impersonal influence like the force in Star Wars. By the way, have you noticed that Luke and Yoda and Anakim and Obi-Wan use the force, but the force never talks back to them? Unlike the force, the Holy Spirit like the Father, 
And the Son, you see, is a person, a person who comes alongside of us and indwells us and speaks to us and is present with us and empowers us. The Holy Spirit does this always in a person-to-person way. And by the way, the Spirit sometimes does talk back to us, kind of like my wife talks back to me. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so the Nicene Creed says that with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified. So we don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it because you don't worship an it or have fellowship with an it. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes to fill and empower, but always as one person to another person, always in the context of relationship, the Holy Spirit then is God's empowering personal presence. So what happens when the person of the Holy Spirit comes to empower us? Well, that's the question I'd like to try to answer during the rest of this message, and we're going to to find the answer simply by looking at what happened to the original disciples on that day of Pentecost when, in fact, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And you, you may have noticed as, as the Scripture was, was being read that there were three external signs that were present when the Holy Spirit came upon those that were gathered there together. And I believe that in those three outward signs, the wind, the fire, the speaking in various tongues, you, you have, as it were, a kind of a beautiful summary description. A beautiful summary description of what happens when believers are filled and empowered by the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, we're told, a sound like the blowing of a mighty violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And the wind tells us that when the Spirit comes There is dynamic, energizing, life-giving power. Throughout Scripture, wind, you see, represents that, the divine energy, the life force, the vitality, the dunamis, the dynamite, the breath of God. You remember the vision that Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, had of that that valley of dry bones. It was a dry arid valley, if there ever was one. And the Lord says to the prophet, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, you know, he just kind of throws up his hands. He says, Lord, only you know. And then God declares to the bones, I will make breath enter you. Breath, ruach, the same word in the Hebrew for spirit, I will make breath, and the same word for wind, ruach, enter you, and you will come to life. And then, of course, in the vision, it happens. Wind, breath, spirit entered them, it says, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army, it says. And so it always happens when the spirit comes that that which is dead is made alive, that which is worn out, that which is languishing, 
is animated and energized and revived and brought back to life. Oh, how desperately we need the wind, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Imagine yourself uh, on the edge of a lake, and there's a guy and a gal out in a sailboat on the lake, and it's, it's just an absolutely perfect day for sailing. The sun is out. The breeze is blowing. But there's just one problem. The boat's sail is down, and the guy and the gal, they're, they're using paddles instead, and they're paddling like crazy, you know, and all sorts of sweat is pouring off their foreheads, but the boat is just sort of hardly moving at all. And so you, you start yelling at them from the edge of the lake, hey, put away your paddles, don't you know? Hoist the sail. And I wonder if Jesus isn't saying to somebody here this morning, some, ex- some exhausted Christian, someone that's worn out in ministry, hey, put away your paddle. Stop trying to be like me in your own self-effort. Stop trying to be, do ministry in your own power. But put away your paddle and hoist the sail. And let the wind of the Spirit come and drive you along. I wonder, do you need to, to discover or to rediscover the power of wind? The wind represents the life-giving work of the Spirit. And again, according to the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. The life-giving work of the Spirit. Well, the Spirit comes and the wind comes in energizing power. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit also comes in blazing purity. Because on the day of Pentecost, as we heard read, they saw what seemed to be tongues as a fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. And that's what the fire represents. The Spirit comes, you see, to do a work of purging, purifying, cleansing. The Spirit comes as a refining fire to melt down the impurities in us, the scum and the dross in our lives, and to create in us a clean heart, a pure heart, so that we can see God and so that His holiness can begin to be manifested in us. What do we mean by a pure heart anyway? Well, something that's pure consists of one thing and one thing only. Gold that's pure is unmixed with any other metal. It's just gold and nothing else. But because of our fallen nature and our brokenness as human beings, we are anything but pure, aren't we? And it's particularly after we've come to know Christ and have actually sought to try to follow Him and walk with Him that we realize just how impure we are, how divided we are, how much we feel like that character in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress called Mr. Facing Both Ways. We desire God's will, but we also want our own will. Sometimes we feel like a walking civil war, and we cry out with the psalmist, give me an undivided heart, Lord that I might fear your name. And that's what the fire, you see, 
of the Holy Spirit comes to do, to do a purifying, sanctifying work in us and to set you and me free from the tyranny of a divided heart and a divided self, to give us a pure heart, a heart that's unmixed and undivided, a heart that's perfect in its love for God. The Holy Spirit comes to get more and more of you and me lined up with the will of God so that the will of God more and more becomes our magnificent obsession. Oh, the Spirit can put within you a supreme desire not to have to have your own way. Do you need the Holy Spirit to make you pure in some area right now where your life is divided? Well, then cry out to him and invite the Spirit to come. When the Spirit comes, there's purity. That's why, you know, we call him not just the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit comes, there's energizing, life-giving power, and there's blazing purity. But there was a third and final sign on the day of Pentecost, speaking in other tongues and languages. And this, this sign, it seems, represents to me fruitful productivity. I mean, think about it. As a result of their speaking in tongues, the people who had gathered there from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost there in Jerusalem heard the message of the gospel that Jesus was the Messiah and that God had raised him from the dead. And they heard it not just in the common language, the lingua franca, but they got to hear it in their heart language. Their heart language. So that it really had an impact. We hear them, they, they said, declaring God's praises in our own language. And then Peter stood up and preached, and it was so powerful that before he could give the invitation, uh, they, they cried out, what shall we do? And when he told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Christ, 3,000 people responded. You see, when the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit comes, the gifts of the Spirit, which make us productive and fruitful in our service for Christ, are released and become operative in us. And as a result, our, our service for God can become increasingly fruitful too. For example, if it's, if it's the gift of teaching that's been given to us when we exercise it through the Spirit's power, people will learn. If it's the gift of mercy, folks will be comforted. If it's the gift of administration, things will get put in proper order. If it's the gift of healing, the sick and the wounded will get well. If, if it's the gift of service, practical needs will get met point is that when the gifts we've been given are in operation through the Spirit, what is supposed to happen will happen. We will get the job done. Fruitfulness and productivity that can't be accounted for in human terms. Service for God that makes a difference, that builds up the body of Christ and extends the, the, the horizon of God's kingdom. That's what happens when the person of the Spirit comes, wind, fire, 
speaking in tongues, when the Spirit comes, it's all there. It can all be there. Energizing power, blazing purity, fruitful productivity. Well, E. Stanley Jones used to say that unless the Holy Spirit fills, the human spirit fails. We need the Spirit to come. Do you, do, you, do you need to get to know the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit? I love that story that the author John Sherrill, uh, who wrote several books about the Holy Spirit, tells about a time when he joined the uh, traditional church choir in his church. And, you know, he was in that choir for about a month or so, and he realized he'd made a big mistake. Uh, he couldn't read music very well, and every so often his voice would crack, and he was always going flat, trying to stay on pitch, you know. And uh, so he began to look for a graceful way to exit. But, you know, sometimes that's not always an easy thing to do when you're in a church choir. <laughs> And then one night, he went to choir rehearsal, and he happened to sit directly in front of this a big, rotund Irishman named Bill Brogan, who had this deep, powerful, resonant, booming bass voice. And as this man's magnificent voice just kind of boomed forward, you know, Bill was sitting in the row ahead of him, but somehow Bill noticed, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, John noticed that his voice improved dramatically. He sounded better that night than he'd ever sounded before in his singing. And after the rehearsal, he, he said something to Bill about it. You know, Bill smiled and listened, and, and he said, listen, if you think that was something, you come back next week, and I'll show you something even better. So John Cheryl showed up at the next rehearsal, and this time the two men were kind of sitting in the same row right next to each other. And at one point, he said, Bill took a step or two backward and then moved over so that he was standing right directly behind John, even as they were singing. And then Bill Brogan began to whisper something in his ear. Lean back. Lean back. What do you mean? Put your weight on me. Well, John Sherrill said he didn't exactly understand, but he went ahead and he started to lean back until finally his shoulder blades were literally resting up on Bill Brogan's massive chest, even as they continued to sing. And suddenly John Sherrill said, I discovered what singing was all about. The resonances of his deep voice swelled through my own, and effortlessly I began to make tones and sang notes that I didn't even know were in me. And I believe the Holy Spirit's here this morning. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And he's whispering to each one of us. Lean back. Lean back. Unless the Holy Spirit fills, the human spirit fails. Do you need to lean back?